Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Weekdays at 5.30. We are 6.40 Toronto. I've always been fascinated by election results. I'll start here since I was a kid. I've talked about this before. It felt like a little bit of an extension of a sporting event to sit there. And I remember being like four and watching Jimmy Carter beat Gerald Ford. And I remember Joe Clark becoming, I do, becoming prime minister and then giving it right back to Pierre Trudeau uh, right at the beginning of the 80s. I think Clark won his election in 79, and Trudeau got it right back off uh, off a minority government um, that Clark had in 1980. And he stayed in there for about four more years until Brian Mulroney started pounding the late John Turner in elections in 84 and 88. So I've been fascinated by them. And I saw yesterday there was an official acknowledgement from Doug Ford that he will vote for Mark Saunders. Now, we told you on yesterday's show that Doug Ford had a lawn sign for Mark Saunders. Like a lot of people that said, I'm going to stay out of this process, just can't seem to stay out of this process. And that, look, Doug Ford's not the only one. Doug Ford did say if we get a quote-unquote lefty mayor, oh boy, Toronto's in big, big trouble. Yeah, it might be in big trouble anyway, the next three years, no matter what. And we were probably in big trouble anyway for those three years with John Tory. But this is a chance for some people to hit the reset button. And boy, are they. Like, I do think there's been a bit of a spring into awareness about so many of the issues that were plaguing Toronto, even when we went to the polls last year and elected a new municipal council with a lot of new blood, a lot of new first year councillors were put on to, you know, basically into a scenario. Jamal Myers, super smart. He's on there. Uh, Alejandra Bravo is on there. Uh, Osma Malik. Like we put three or four or five really good. Chris Moy is another one. Three or four or five really good names on there because there were a lot of counselors that decided not to run again. Anna Bailao famously did not. Joe Cressy did not. And there were a few people, and and obviously uh, Jack, uh, Jack Layton's son, Mike Layton, decided not to as well. So I thought about it yesterday with the Ford endorsement of uh, Mark Saunders as to what that really means. Is that a protest vote? Because it's easy to look and say, wait a second, wait a second. We just had a provincial election. If people, if Olivia Chow is a protest vote against Doug Ford, even if Josh Madlow, who's been probably the most outspoken against the Ford government, and I understand why it's frustrating for Matlow supporters. I really do to see Olivia Chow with a big lead. Matlow's been in the battle these last 10 years. Matlow, I think people have confidence, would go to Queens Park and push really hard. I've told you before, the one thing, the one thing that jumps off the page that even people who like Olivia Chow and think she's a hard worker and think she's her, the heart's in the right place and, and she does her homework will struggle doing is being front-facing and and advocating hard and leading by consensus sometimes. You have to do that. You've got to bring people together who disagree. Disagreements are actually pretty healthy, and debates are pretty healthy, and even losing the argument sometimes can be really healthy. Okay, I've learned that over the years. Lose once in a while, not on purpose, but just acquiesce and understand the other person might be more right than you are at that point in time. But people are worried about Olivia Chow's ability to do that. Here's Doug Ford yesterday uh, referencing his support for Toronto's former police chief, Mark Saunders. Well, I've always said I'm staying out of the uh, race. I have the right, like anyone else, to uh, put a sign on my lawn. I put Mark's uh, sign on my lawn. I'm proud to have his sign on, on the lawn. But again, I, I tell everyone, uh, 
I'll be voting for Mark, but vote whoever, you know, whoever you want to vote for. Uh, that's your choice. That's not up to me or anyone else to tell you who to vote for. Uh, that's just my opinion. Uh, he'd be the best mayor. Now, it's a weird one because if we took percentage of vote in Toronto, and I think this is really important to do, it's really easy to look across the province and say, Doug Ford's unbelievably popular. Like I like I understand that that he is. If you go from 67 seats to 83 seats out of a pandemic when not a lot of people all the time would agree with every decision you made, open, closed, this is happening, that's happening. Um, I think it's pretty impressive to go from 67 to 83 seats. But how was it in Toronto proper? Well, I'll tell you, barely, barely getting the strongest percentage of the vote were the Conservative Party. The Ontario PCs got 32.3% of Toronto votes in 2022. Weirdly, this data is really hard to find on the internet. It took me a good 45 minutes last night to find it because I'm going, no, that's from 2018. No, that counts all of Southern Ontario. Like I almost started to start ad writings up and then I found what I was looking for. 32.3% voted conservative in Toronto. 31.9% voted liberal. You would never think that. What a disaster. The party's dead. What will happen? And you've got obviously two prominent people, I think, in the GTA right now attempting to be the leader of that particular party. Out of the gate first is Nathaniel Erskine-Smith, Beaches East York MP. Um, He's obviously been with the federal government. He's won three straight elections, kind of overwhelmingly so. And, And he's hit the province running. He's out there and he's got plans. And a little later to this task is Bonnie Crombie. Um, the mayor of Mississauga. It's been some stumbles out of the gate. Maybe she's able to to correct that. But I also understand why people think this is going to be uh, a, a race that she doesn't exactly walk away with. In fact, again, she struggled out of the gate so far. But the NDP, for all the people saying this is an NDP city and it's going to be an NDP candidate, I got two things for you. One, the NDP finished third in Toronto votes in the 2022 provincial election. Now, they got nine seats, and the Liberals got four. So they were highly concentrated seats. But they went from 37.1% in 2018 to 28%. So I I have heard people say, this election is a protest vote against Doug Ford, and it's for Olivia Chow. Well, maybe it is. And Mart Stiles, Kristen Wong Tam, most of the NDP heavyweights provincially have absolutely mobilized behind one candidate and one candidate only. And that's Olivia Chow. And that factors in here. That factors in. 238,000 people uh, and 600 voted for the NDP last time out. But I think that's shocking to some of you. I'm already hearing from some of you via text, 416-870-6400, who can't believe more people voted liberal in Toronto than the NDP last election because it felt like the result was a disaster. You had a leader who wasn't connecting. You had a platform that that people died in the, in the, like, died in the wool, red liberals, didn't like. In fact, some of them were disgusted by it. Okay, I'll mention the vaccine mandates for five to 12 year olds just to go to school the next year. And that was a disgusting idea from Stephen Del Duca, plain and simple. But more more people voted liberal than NDP. So I do see the element here that this is a protest vote and why it's going to go potentially the way it's going to go is if you were an Ontario liberal, who are you supporting? Josh Madlow, Mitzi Hunter, to some extent, Anna Bailao. It's all over the place. It really is all over the place. So despite the fact the liberals came 3,000 votes short 
of having more people vote for that party. Again, this is really encouraging for a Nate Erskine Smith if he's the leader in five months. Or or maybe, maybe uh, a Bonnie Crombie if she can get her act together. But if, if those things happen, you got a good base here. You don't have the seats and you don't have the money because you're not an official party, but you sure do have the support. Problem is it's getting split three or four ways right now. Those are the overall results. The conservatives slipped off the page from 360,000 Toronto votes in 2018, basically a Kathleen Wynne protest vote, to 274,000. That's a huge diminishing right there. But they didn't lose seats, and that's the biggest thing going right now. They went from 11 to 12 seats in Toronto proper, 44% of the seats to 48% of the seats. So point being, I think Olivia Chow looks at this situation and says, the NDP's got my back, but the liberal vote is getting split by three people, and the conservative vote may be strongly getting split between Anthony Fury and Mark Saunders, and maybe to some extent, a Bylaw or a Bradford. Beautiful, brilliant sunshine on the first day of summer, but uh, traffic snarls for sure, and please do You'll greatly appreciate uh, that we told you this. Avoid the 401 between Whites Road and Westney at all costs. You won't have much of a choice but to avoid it. But if you're headed in that direction, think about Kingston Road. There's th- That's really the only east-west. I'd stay, uh, get off on Kingston if you're headed out east that way. And if you're headed west, get on Kingston basically from Westney um, because it's going to be a mess all morning, including the morning commute for the next few hours and maybe even the afternoon. Um, it's Greg Brady, Shiba Siddiqui. Dave Hunter's in with us uh, for Gordon Rennie this morning. And Dave Bradley, you just heard from, and he'll have more top of the hour at 7 o'clock. Uh, they did a survey, Shiba, of educators, principals, district leaders last month in the United States um, with Ed Week Research Center. And they interviewed a few thousand uh, of, of all these different jobs. And in essence, people were split. Half the respondents, they said, were, were your schools closed for um, the perfect amount of time. 40% said schools were closed far too long. Just 11% of respondents, one out of 10, said their school closures were too short. Should have, right, should have closed them longer. Um, And the bottom line is, um, obviously closures went deep into the 21-22 school year. I remember I could play back probably the conversation you and I had in early January of 22, where it just felt like, all hope was lost. Like we just got through the Christmas break and then we got told your kids aren't going back for the first two weeks of January. Now those I saw that coming though for the record. You did. You I told my kids you did. in December, bring every single thing home. You did. Now that said, it was um people have said to me, Well, how would you vote? And I would say, like I'll ask you, how would you vote in, in something like this? Were were schools closed for too long? Oh, absolutely they were. Yes, I think, listen, we had, I get it, a global pandemic. We were all in a panic. April 2020, every single part of this city was just absolute silence. Everyone was in their homes. We didn't know what was going on. Uh, and, and we're all trying to virtually school our kids. Even the teachers didn't know how to do this at that time. Uh, and I get it. From there on in for the next, I'd say, year, I understand the chaos. But going into, I think it was the 2021 school year. Right. That, at that point, I mean, and they had virtual school, but I just think it was such a mess. It had such a huge effect on people, particularly only children 
That's where my heart goes out to kids that were graduating that missed out on life experience. So many, so many firsts in life, and it's affected these kids, and we're seeing it. We're, we're seeing, seeing it. how it's affected them. Yeah, the, like the, there's absolute learning loss. I'd love to see a survey in Ontario because I think we we know one thing about Ontario and education. Um, the unions are pretty strong. They're very vocal. They're very political. Um, they have tended to back, um, like for example, in in the in the provincial election, they would back. Uh, the NDP, Andrea Horvath, last time out, if an election were called tomorrow, they'd all back Mart Styles and the NDP. It's possible, depending on what the liberals do, they can get in there. But who they who are they not backing? That's the current provincial government and Doug Ford and Stephen Lecce. But you raise an interesting point and a great point because the pandemic was very unequal for um, for so many people. Like even yesterday, I read, you know, we, we did the story a couple of days ago about these multi-stall washrooms and the TDSB talking about, well, we need things to be more inclusive and we have to reduce this and we have to make sure there isn't discrimination. And I'm like, I'll tell you what's discrimination, closing schools. I'll tell you what's difficult for, um, for uh, what was difficult for poor parents was reliable access to internet, homeschooling, buying new devices. I know they gave everybody a little handout, the, the provincial government did, and even, even the union said and the teachers said, well, that's not enough. So the idea of a wealth gap always widens educational disparities. But when you close the schools, it closes it even more. So I'm not I'm not terribly interested in trustees or union leaders telling me um, about about discrimination and about their fight for equity and equality when the pandemic was everything except equal and and about equity. You absolutely gave a huge advantage to, as you put it, people with big houses, people who could afford tutoring, people who could afford the devices, kids who had their own room. You gave huge advantages to those kids, and we're still seeing the ramifications of it. And who had parents who could take the time to actually speak to them. Right, didn't have to go, you know, first thing in the morning, essential workers who were never home all day. It was an awful time for everybody. I think there were so many people that were affected. Uh, I, I hate talking about it. Really, because it just brings back there's some there's some trauma there for I think for all parents, uh, and now we're just sort of rebuilding. But do you think teachers? Let's say we pulled two thousand Ontario teachers, and I'd love to hear from people on text. If you're a teacher, I'd love to hear you weigh in and and say were schools closed too long during the pandemic, just long enough? Or, or I think they would agree with you. I don't know if they would admit it publicly on record, which is scary because they should be able to say their piece publicly, shouldn't they? The idea that there'd be some they can't kind of say ramific- anything publicly. It's They're crazy. teachers in our school in our school boards right now. There's nothing they can see publicly. They're I, not allowed to say anything, or they're on leave. I understand when people work for a company, um, and and you do work for a company if you work for a teachers union or for a school. You can't just sound off on Twitter. My principle is this: the, the history teacher that I work in the staff room with is, of course, you can't and you shouldn't. There's a decorum and an etiquette to it. But you would think give them, you know, give them that sort of wiggle room. And people might say to me, when should we have opened schools? Well, we never should have closed them at all in 21 or 22. We should have brought an awful lot back earlier, as in sports, especially outdoors. And she, I think the I think that the tipping point for most people would be spring of 21, where we'd go. Now, I think the the provincial government could have done a ton more to make um, vaccinations more available for teachers earlier on. I think teachers were doing that whole Hunger Games thing that the rest of us normal adults were, and I would have tried to put educators near the front of the line. But guess what? When you get your shot, stop stop what you're doing and get back into the classroom. 
because kids are going to be there and that's that. And we knew a lot. We but knew a ton 14 months in by we then. We know this. Principals and teachers no longer have a voice. Uh, I had a multitude of teachers that joined whatever shows I was working on during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And they would always say, okay, you can't mention my board. I'm going to give you a fake name. Yeah. And they said, I need to tell you about what's happening in my classroom, what's happening virtually, but you just can't use my real name. And we can just say a, a local Toronto or GTA yeah. board, school board. So there's, they were, of course they were fearful. Yeah. Uh, text us at uh, 416-870-6400 if you'd weigh in on that, if you're an educator. When should schools have been open? Why were they closed too long? It's a really interesting survey from the U.S. Like, it's brand new stuff. We're not just relitigating what happened 24 months ago. I think those numbers are really interesting, even in the United States, where, yeah, but polit- like politics and education go hand in hand there as well. It is Toronto today. Uh, we've got several minutes here, and then we'll have more on the other side uh, to spend with Toronto City Councilor Josh Madlow, who's joined us in studio this morning. We haven't had you in in a while. It's great to see you, but I know how hard yeah. you've been working. Thank you. Picked up some big endorsements. I was telling you about our uh, our hockey friend, yes. Nick Kiprios. yes. Backing you, I'm so grateful to Nick. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just it's. I mean, his endorsement says something that you know I I couldn't say as well as he does, which yeah. is that I think a lot of people who are out there who you know may not even be that engaged in politics, but you know want to know that people they trust support a candidate. Um, his endorsement just means the world to me because I've never known Nick to be terribly political, but that no, that said you. something to me a week and a half ago. That he said, I'm gonna. I'm not just gonna tell people in my community. Yeah. I'm not gonna tell people at dinner. I'm gonna get out there, and and I know uh, your friend Eric M has done the same yep, thing. Yep. Who's coming in tomorrow to visit with us? Like those are people more so than <clears throat> you know a city councilor. To me, those are more people that are sort of on the street. They do the work. They're yeah. well known, and and their their influence is meaningful because they're are, just they're 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 not apolitical, but they're non political. Is the best no, way I can put it. No, and you know they're not about politics. I mean, you and I were just having a conversation earlier about how there are so many people. If we're going to be honest with ourselves, they're not that tuned into the election. Um, many people don't vote anymore. They're they're disengaged. They don't see how what happens in politics really relates to their lives, or they don't even believe anything that's being said. And so I just think it is more important when real people who are just like living their lives, like everybody else who have careers that aren't necessarily involved in politics, tell you, you know what? There is a candidate who we believe in Mm -hmm. um, that is telling the truth, that is putting forward a plan like ours that focuses on safety, affordability, uh, improving services that actually makes sense. Um, I think that is so much more powerful than the political class just sort of supporting each other and just saying, Hey, like we like each other because typically there, there are deals and favors and relationships that are going on that serve them more than the average person. This feels like also, um, if I can say you're, you're kind of out there very much, um, independently campaigning. Now, listen, you remarkably popular in your ward. You had like 85, 84% support last November, which is great. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you're somebody who's out there, Mitzi Hunter's out there, Anna Bylow's out there, and I don't feel like you've got an entire provincial political party behind you. And I feel like Olivia Chow has had that from the beginning. That's right. Is that at all frustrating that there's a bit of a machine and a bureaucracy behind one person and you guys are just doing the, doing the legwork yourself with your volunteers? No, and I, I, I like, well, I mean, the, no, I don't feel frustration, but I do see it. I mean, it's, it's evident. Yeah. Um, Olivia Chow has a lot of workers and supporters from the NDP helping her. Um, and um, Mark Saunders has literally Doug Ford's endorsement and support. On the lawn. 
Anna Bailao has, you know, Nick Cavallis and, and these corporate lobbyists uh, involved in her campaign. And they've been doing some, you know, some things in the campaign that I think have, you know, raised some eyebrows. Uh, and it, it, what would those be? Well, in all candor, I've just seen polls that don't make sense. Okay. Um, that, that seem to inflate her numbers in ways that just don't add up or, or compared to other polls that I've seen. Not to suggest that every poll is right, um, but just one seems to stand out. Um, and, you know, I'm also hearing on the ground that most people aren't really answering these polls or they're really, you know, like a lot of people don't sort of sit through the entire questionnaire that they receive over a landline uh, to answer who they're, they're going to support. So I'm not even convinced that the polls really reflect the reality because what I'm hearing on the ground is, I mean, certainly because I'm going to the doors and I'm in the community uh, talking with people, I'm feeling a lot of support for our campaign. I, I do feel like it's, it's, it's relating to people. Um, in all honesty, there are a lot of people who aren't engaged and need a reason to vote, like need a reason to leave their home and go and vote. And my job is to go and give them that reason. And I'm the only candidate who has a plan that actually has been reviewed by the top economists in Canada, like Kevin Page, who's the former uh, parliamentary budget officer who like, I'm not just going out there and pandering. I'm not just saying like, Hey, I'm going to like give everyone a unicorn and everything's going to be great. I'm just telling the truth. I'm just saying like, this is how we need to manage the budget. That's a mess. This is how we can improve services. This is how we can focus on making our city safer and more affordable. And I'm not even expecting everyone to agree with everything that I'm proposing, but they'll know that it's honest and they'll know that it's thought through and it's, and they'll know that I'm genuine about wanting to govern effectively. You came in here in April and you said, here's, Here's how I view what we need to do yeah. with a tax increase. Absolutely. And nobody else did that at that given time. And we're still, obviously, I understand there's a process that you'd go through later in the <clears> year, <throat> setting a budget. I mean, sure. John Tory announced the 5.5% the increase probably a week before Christmas. Maybe it was right. late November yeah. in that process there. So you do wait out for that. But at the minimum, you laid this out and you know yourself, there's going to be a balance to taxation. I don't believe Olivia Chow's taxes will it will be in the 20% range. Some candidates have suggested yeah. that, but I do think she'll have the highest. I think she'll have the highest municipal taxes of any of the candidates right now. I I've, do think that I like, I've been up front. I've said that I want to um, ensure that we have enough revenue coming in. So uh, I've said uh, 2% above inflation that comes down to $5 and 55 cents a month for the average homeowner. It's not going to break anyone's bank, but what it will do is ensure that we have more funds available to raise the standards for things like snow clearing that sucks in this city, um, repairing our roads that have potholes, yeah, uh, making sure that our kids can get into rec programs, like real things that are not doing well that we need to improve. We also need to manage the budget that we have more responsibly. There is a lot of wasteful, wasteful spending that I, that I am absolutely determined to get under control. And we're going to need a new deal with the provincial and federal governments if we're going to be able to pay for transit operating, social housing, et cetera, uh, more sustainably. And I have an approach that's different than the former some people have have uh, aped your some of your your plans and policies. Like mm -hmm. I said, the, the absolutely the front runner right now says like three weeks ago on a Sunday, I want to open libraries on weekends, and you're probably like, I think I said I that. I think I wrote that a long I time think ago. I was, <laughs> yeah. The weather wasn't even good yeah, when yeah, you were yeah. outside a library yeah, yeah. saying that. But Ontario Place, <laughs> I'm really surprised at because your idea to sell that parcel That's of land right. to the federal government for one dollar, yeah. like. The front runner right now probably should commit to that because if you're not committing to that, it leaves everything with the spa and everything with yep. the land and everything with the constructions underway right now, kind of up for grabs, kind of out up there at risk. And, and just for your listeners, um, the reason that I propose that is because Doug Ford 
legally can expropriate the city land at Ontario Place and replace our public waterfront with a private spa. Only if the federal government owns that property with an agreement that it remains public, Doug Ford can't legally take it away from federal lands. So that's why I proposed it. And yes, I mean, the, the, the issue with Olivia Chow, in my view, is that um, her platform is a quick read. <laughs> There's not a lot there. Many of the ideas have been borrowed from other campaigns, including mine. The math that she uses doesn't add up to her commitments. And in fact, there is over $170 million uh, missing mm. from her plan. In other words, she's made commitments, but she hasn't demonstrated how she's going to pay for it. And that's not good enough. All right. Josh Matlow's in studio with us. The vo- has the voice got another segment uh, in it? We're going to uh, get you a lozenge or do it. But that, that tells me you're doing the work if your abs- voice is sore I, at this point, five I, I, days I, I, to go before voting day. After a few weeks, it's gone to Al Pacino mode, but I'm doing it. I'm doing it. <laughs> Bang the table really loudly. Exactly. That's right. The, that'll work. Uh, our wine glasses will bobble. Uh, we'll b- do more with Josh Matlow on the way back. And as mentioned, um, a key endorser in his uh, seeking the mayoral uh, election win is Erica M. And she'll be with us tomorrow in studio as well. Josh Matlow is in studio with us. What's the website for people to find out more about your platform? Why, thank you for asking. The uh, well-costed out, uh, informative, longer than most, some websites? No, we actually put together a very, you know, costed, realistic platform, and you can read it at votematlow.ca. We were just talking about polls, and and no question, um, there's a lot of, I think there's a skepticism about them. It becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. We, We, you know... Twitter's really dangerous. Twitter's dangerous, period. But it's really dangerous to try and get a political sense of things. It's like 20% of the population are even on it. A lot more pe- a lot of people are more active than others on it. Sure. And so it's really hard to tell. This is how you end up with Trump beating Hillary or Brexit yeah, yeah. going one way and not the other. Is there anything you're seeing in terms of numbers that you get, that your people get, that is telling you more about how your ground game's doing versus yeah. what we read in the papers and what might be in a newscast. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced that the polls are not reflecting the real world. Um, who answers a poll, right? It's, it's you know, somebody who is going to be dedicated to sitting on their landline, typically, um, and listening through the entire message and then pressing a number for somebody. Sounds fun. Like most of us, yeah. with our busy lives and we're on our way to things... You get a call from some research company, you click, like it's done. Like you're not dealing with that. And there are a lot of communities, including many of our ethnocultural communities that like are not, they're engaged in what's important to them. They're, I believe they're going to go out and vote, but you need to give them a reason to vote. And I just don't believe that they're often reflected on Twitter or in the polls. Um, so I really believe given that there will be most likely um, a sadly low voter turnout. It'll end up being who ends up going to the polls that will matter. I mean, obviously. And I just don't believe that everyone's going to be swayed by the polls. I think most people will go if there is a good ground uh, effort by a campaign to give them a reason to go and vote. And I just don't believe that either Mark Saunders or Olivia Chow or Anna Bailao, um have the same kind of enthusiasm Mm-hmm. on their campaigns as, as we do, because our campaign is not brought to you by either the NDP or Doug Ford or corporate lobbyists. We are people like Nick Kiprios and Erica M and like people who are engaged in our communities. Um, and, you know, frankly, many of the people who are endorsing me and supporting me are not names that you've even heard of. These are people who are involved in their neighborhoods, involved in their communities, people who I'm really proud to be affiliated with because 
they're doing, they're doing the good work in their neighborhoods, not because of any other reason than they just want to leave this place better than they found it. And those are the people who are going to make sure that we win. We were at 29 points, actually 29.2% for turnout in the fall. I, I'm can we're going over that though, aren't we? Uh, even though like you say low voter turnout, but I yeah. think low is one third of eligible voters is, is pretty shoddy, but I think we're going to get above the 29. I hope so. I hope so. Um, you know, th- there's two ways to look at it. There's been a lot of focus and media attention on this mayoral by-election, so that could encourage more people to vote. That being said, in the municipal election last year, there were countless hundreds of ward candidates going out trying to pull the vote as well. So will that off, you know, will this offset that or vice versa? I don't know the answer to that. Mm-hmm. I hope people go out and vote. And I encourage you, if you're listening, whether you're voting for me or not, this is your opportunity to set the direction of this city. And if you want, whether it be the TTC cuts to be reversed, if you want it to be safer, if you, if, if you want to be able to make the rent and maybe even dream to afford a home and you want a mayor who will pay attention to you, if you want services to finally get back into shape that you rely on, this is your moment. This is your chance to have your say. And it doesn't take a long time to go out and vote, but it's your opportunity to make a difference. And I really encourage you. If you do choose to vote for me, I'm number 72 on that really long ballot. And I hope that you, I hope that you give us uh, your support because I will go and work my butt off for you. I mean what I say. And ultimately I just want to do some good work. It's the work that I want to do is even far more important to me than the, than the idea of even being mayor. Josh Madlow's with us in studio with us on Toronto today. I've said this and I want to see if you concur. I think this is a much better job in 2026 than it is now. I think this is a hard job. I think we're in a hard place. Absolutely. I even make the case this would have been a hard job for John Tory to continue and do all four years in after the previous eight. And right. people could make the case four years of Rob Ford, eight years of John Tory have partially led us to where we're at. Yep. But, you know, if you're not a rear view mirror person, you just go, nothing we can do about the past. We just have to fix it now. But I think it's a really, there's going to be hard right. decisions because right. re- it's out of COVID too. That's, that's a percentage and people could debate the percentage. Is this a better job in 2026? I think that's fair. Like, I think what you're saying is completely fair. I mean, I'm, I'm going in there with my eyes wide open. It'll be a fun victory night. And then the very next morning, we've got to face a $1.5 billion shortfall in the budget. The, the reserves have been raided. The cupboards are bare. There is a $46 billion pressure on us over the next decade. And coming out of COVID, we've got a society that's not well. We've got more homelessness. We've got like all these simultaneous crises going on. And the job of mayor is going to be incredibly challenging. And that's why it's really important to vote for somebody who not only just says, I'm going to make everything better, but demonstrates to you that they actually have a plan. And that's what I've done mm-hmm. because the challenges we're facing are far too important and difficult and, and, and necessary to take on. Um, uh, then, you know, allowing people to just pander or play political games with like, this is real. We've got to fix our city. We've got to help people. And what's going on right now is not acceptable. And, you know, for Olivia Chow to just sort of, she has name recognition and she doesn't have a plan that's costed or realistic. Anna Bailau has suggested that her entire campaign and all of her promises are based on this pipe dream that Doug Ford is going to upload the, the garden and the DVP, even though Doug Ford already said three times he's not going to do it. And Mark Saunders 
he says he's going to cut things, but he doesn't tell you exactly what it's going to be. Yeah. And he hasn't told us how he's going to balance the budget. Can I ask about the Ford principle there? Because I wonder that you must hear from people who live in other cities that you or I or our listeners would know. And, and anybody in London says, why should my taxes pay for the gardener? Someone, and, and that's London two hours oh. away. So imagine what they're saying in Ottawa or Sudbury or Cornwall, where they're like, I might be on the DVP one time in three years. Why should I pay for that? You know, but, like, I get it. And we can debate the future of the gardener. We can debate who owns the gardener. Yeah. But we all need to debate that based on facts and living in the real world. So when Anna Bailau just says all these things that she's promising is based on a false assumption that Doug Ford is going to announce he's going to upload the DVP in the gardener. That is not living in reality. That's a pipe dream. Why do I say that? Because Doug Ford himself has consistently over and over again during this campaign, in fact, said he's not going to do it. So I, I agree we can advocate for it. Um, I, I actually think the go-along to get-along approach that John Tory and Anna Bailau uh, did failed us. I mean, the reality is negotiating with Doug Ford, like, you know, assuming that you can go into an arm wrestle with a handshake is just foolish. No, and, and John Tory was on our show, Josh, in the fall, and he said, I, I'd consider even a toll still on the gardener. It made news for a day, and then Doug Ford said, it's never going to it's never gonna happen, man. So so let's get real. I mean, get we've, real, we've, right? got to get, we've got to get our house in order. We've got to negotiate to make sure we've got a better deal. But we can't, we can't make decisions based on assumptions. Like, nobody, can you imagine managing your household budget that way? You know, I hope that I get this, like, amazing yeah. job one day that I'm paid, you know, millions of dollars. Yeah. It's a lovely hope, but until that actually happens, you've got to get real with yourself. Yeah, and you're creating, by the way, if you don't give your spouse, uh, husband, wife, whomever, uh, two men, two women, you don't give them financial details about what you're spending and not spending, it's a problem in the marriage. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. You've got to be honest about it. I got just over a minute here. You and I must know people who say, I can't afford to live in the city anymore. All the time. I'm packing it up. What do you say to them? Do you go, I get it? Or do you just beg them to hang in there? Because Toronto matters. I'm worried we won't ever have the same city again. Because I'm watching other cities around North America. <laughs> so if I'm worried they won't, I sure am worried we won't either. The reality is, I mean, housing is um, has become far too expensive in cities around the world. And I don't believe that any mayor is just going to magically make it all better overnight. And anyone who says that to you is lying to you. They're pandering to you. Mm -hmm. What a mayor can do is meaningfully make a difference in our city. So what can we do? We can ensure that there's a better supply of affordable rental, both on public lands and incentivize the private sector to build more purpose-built rental. We need more of it to be able to bring down the price. On the public lands, we have the ability to also set rent control and um, have rent geared to income, which is like deeply affordable for your budget, along with below market. And we also need more options for home ownership. I mean, the reality is most people have given up on the dream of ever owning a home, but not every house should be $2 million. The multiplexes are a start. It's way late. It's a start. It's way late, but yeah. it's a start, right? It's a start, and there needs to be just different options to meet people's budgets. Uh, I wish you the best over the next five days, and you've been great giving us uh, your time with our show, and I really appreciate that also. I appreciate your attention to this election because it informs your listeners, and you're doing a, you're doing a great job, too. Thank you. Josh Matlow, uh, want your vote Monday on Election Day. All right, lots of visitors this morning, and uh, here's our latest. He's a Toronto City Councillor in Beaches, East York, and running for mayor. Wants your vote on Monday. He is Brad Bradford. I don't want to consider this an exit interview, because you're not exiting. And uh, if you don't become mayor, you'll be right back in council chambers later this summer with a new mayor. You're not going anywhere. We're going to be there June 27th either way. Right. Right. 
and we will be fighting for all the things that uh, the feedback I've heard from Torontonians over the course of the campaign, fighting for affordability, community safety, unlocking the gridlock that's ground this city to a halt, and, and families, new Canadians, seniors, all the people who want to call this city home. They are going to need a strong voice to champion that message at City Hall. And whether I'm in the mayor's office or I'm there in a councillor capacity, I am going to be there to work together to fight for those issues and get things done. Any skepticism about some of the polls you're seeing? I'm sure it gives you some sort of balance about it. I don't think we could deny there there has been a clear front runner, but so many of the percentages have fluctuated. And again, you know, to be honest, Josh Madlow last hour made the point like, Who's answering landlines? Who's sitting through a three, four minute survey? And and are we even spreading ourselves wide in Toronto and surveying all the communities we need to be surveying? Is there any skepticism about the process for polls? Yeah, there is. Uh, I'm not delusional, but I, I haven't gotten a single call despite all the polls uh, for you know months now and all the different pollsters doing that work. My phone hasn't rang Do once. Do landline. No, I don't have a landline. Right. So and, maybe. The, yeah. And actually, it's funny when we were rec- recording a voice blast at the beginning of the campaign, uh, they wanted us to record it on a landline. And I had to go through the Rolodex of my, my friend circle. And uh, it was actually my buddy's parents up in Don Mills. We had to go to their house to find a landline because I just I had no yeah. one in the orbit with a landline. So, yeah, those are those are IVR polls. Haven't had anything on the cell phone. But look, like Olivia Chow is a front runner. Not disputing that. But, you know, the only poll that matters, of course, is June 26th. Voters will decide. And uh, I've spent all afternoon at the doors uh, up at Lawrence yesterday. Very good feedback and a lot of undecideds. People tend to know whether they're on board with Olivia Chow's agenda or not. And if they're not on board, they're trying to figure out where they can park their vote right now to, to send a message for common sense at City Hall. And that's why people are, are looking at us and they like our message. I think there's so many people that have said to me, I like this person's two ideas. I like this person's two ideas. That's you and I have talked before. I feel very much like that politically where I'm like, I like what they're doing, they're doing, and they're doing. But you don't have to like every everything somebody is doing. I that's the thing I, I look at and I go, this is this perfect storm of a lot of a lot of really engaged, really smart, really qualified candidates. Um, but there's almost too many of them. And and there's too many good, good candidates with good ideas that are going to split the vote one way. Yeah, I think our, our democracy is always better with with people involved and engaged. And it's a competition of good ideas. But I, I hear that all the time. It's like, oh, Brad, like I'm considering you and you know, candidate X, whatever. Like, uh, there's a lot of people who are trying to weigh what issues I suppose are most important to them. What is the ballot question for them? And this election, you know, frankly, the scrutiny, um, on the platforms just hasn't been there. The scrutiny of the positions just hasn't been there. And so, you know, I think a lot of folks are kind of coming into June 26 on Monday and saying, you know, what's the ballot question? Mm-hmm. I, I think it's affordability. Uh, at the end of the day, the city of Toronto has never been more expensive and we continue to see an exodus of, of young families. Um, you know, we have 11,000 fewer families living in Toronto today than a number of years ago. They're moving out of the city. And that was the whole mantra of you, you don't have to move to Hamilton if you don't want to. That's why my campaign was talking about that because that is emblematic of the experience of so many young professionals, young families and seniors who have given so much to the city over the course of their lives. And now they're looking to, to retire or to downsize and they can't do it here. So I think affordability is top of mind for people. It often manifests in the form of housing, whether you're paying your rent or your mortgage. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of different perspectives out there. And and I think people are trying to land it as we head towards Monday. I've got a friend of mine um, near where I live and we were talking Monday night. His daughter's uh, 25, graduated from law school and is a lawyer. 
She's paying $2,200 in rent downtown, and she's a lawyer, Brad, and that's unsustainable. So you're not waiting tables, right? You're not driving uh, and and delivering food. You're not even working, you know, um, in this industry or another industry where you're you're kind of starting. You know things will get better. You know you'll make more money someday. You got student loans. If she can't sustain living in downtown Toronto, there's a whole generation of people who can't. You just nailed it. I mean, that is the the crux of the affordability crisis. There have always been folks who need additional support, extra help, um, socioeconomically marginalized. We've always had to take care of that community. That won't change. But the biggest risk to Toronto on a go forward basis is the individuals you know that we're talking about a TTC bus driver mechanic a teacher a nurse even a young lawyer who's articling if they can't afford to live in this city the future success and prosperity of Toronto will be jeopardized and you know we have 250,000 new Canadians coming here to the city every year we need that immigration we need to be a magnet for talent and investment um, but we're, we're competing with markets around the world and the value mm-hmm. proposition you know for us versus San Francisco or New York or other places we always traded on the affordability piece and that is slipping away and that's why i've been very clear in my campaign we need more housing we have to be able to deliver it faster more economically we can't afford the delays anymore and you know olivia chow's approach is to build more bureaucracy to build more housing it's the complete opposite thing of what we need to do we need to get out of the way work with the not-for-profit sector work with builders to unleash more housing for all of these these immigrants these new folks who are building their hopes and aspirations in toronto they need to be able to afford to live here i know you've advocated a lot. Um, it's our first chance to ask you about it. Um, since a lot of this cafe to stuff has gone down, there's been some very public incidents of uh, permits being denied or delayed. We're already in the middle of June, in essence. Um, you and I like a good patio once in a while, but we've kind of those places have missed almost eight nine weeks of what we'd call patio season. What's what's the explanation for why it hasn't gone well? Oh, it's nuts. I mean, uh, I was out with Tom at Barbolo, which is a a nice watering hole just off of Young Street. Uh, They've been around for 30 plus years. They recently moved locations. And for the past three years, they've had a patio on a back laneway. It hasn't been a problem. It required a bit of, you know, working with staff, working with Toronto Fire, making sure the ingress and egress was there. Um, But this year, the city said no. And You know why? Well, it, it was a turning radii issue, but they had solved that. Every year prior, we stand up this new process and, and I am supportive of the new process. I think that there, there is a cost and a miss during the program. It's certainly a revenue generator for businesses. All of that is good. But for the first time, when we are asking for money, while we are formalizing these patios, making them better with, with street furniture and, and, the, um, and the decking surfaces, we've made it harder, we've made it more expensive, and we failed to deliver on time. And that is because of a lack of accountability and a lack of prioritization. And you've seen even over the past couple months, like some of these things are slipping. That's right. And that's why we need to usher in a new era of accountability at City Hall. I worked in the civil service. I worked in the chief planner's office. I saw it myself. And that's why I believe in the power of mayor's mandate letters for our top civil servants and the heads of all of our agencies to be to be accountable to Torontonians on the services that we're going to deliver. Let's work more on, uh, on that issue in that conversation. Talk more about what you're uh, hoping for on Monday. 833... Brad Bradford's in with us, city councilor and mayoral candidate uh, website. 
Vote not, Bra- not you, not just your favorite, like ESPN or so. Just give us the your website, actually. VoteBradford.ca. Vote that Bradford. that one's ca. mine, not uh, not the other ones. VoteBradford.ca. Okay. We were talking about, um, and and you've seen this, uh, an element of gridlock. I'm sure people come to you. You and Josh Madlow are the only current city councilors, but you could put this at, at Anna Bylaw's doorstep. You sure could. Um, people saying, well, how come this is happening now? Multiplexes. People probably asked you, why? where were multiplexes 10, 12 years ago? But I'd ask you to, like, let's look through the front of the car, not the rearview mirror. If Olivia Chow is mayor, you return to council, Josh Madlow returns to council. There, there are councillors that supported her and have endorsed her, but there's many that haven't. Do you look and say she'll need strong mayor powers with 25 councillors to get things done. How how will things get done, bang, 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 in terms of policy and in terms of implementation? You know what? I saw it when I was a staff member in the chief planner's office, which is why I ran for council in 2018. So many of these career politicians just don't want to make a decision. They just punt it to the next meeting, punt it to the next term. That was the story of Multiplex. When I was working there, these are, these are uh, neighborhood-oriented apartments uh, that are going to be so important for our rental supply going forward. Back in 2015, people didn't want to touch it. And it was only once I became the chair of planning and housing at the beginning of this term that we were able to get that over the line and end exclusionary zoning across the city and make sure that we have more housing for more people. But there, there is a real tendency for political gridlock at City Hall, which is why I've been unequivocal and very clear when it comes to housing, transit, and infrastructure that supports growth, I would be a strong mayor of action. I don't think Torontonians can afford to wait any longer. And we saw a little bit of a preview uh, you know, of what an Olivia Chow mayoralty would look like last week when you know some of the NDP-oriented councillors tried to delay an appointment to the TTC board. Um, right. And very qualified candidates that had gone through the public appointment process. So you start politicking with that stuff. People lose confidence in the process. They say, why would I even bother applying if it's just going to be political appointments? And and they wanted to delay that. And I I turned over to a colleague of the NDP persuasion. I said, this is, this is horrible politics. Why are you doing this? Uh, and they said, we're in politics, Brad. And uh, it ended It ended up failing. The motion ended I, up failing. And so, you know, maybe they will need uh, strong mayor powers to, to move their agenda forward. But the end of the day is Torontonians are tired of waiting for housing they can afford. They're tired of the, the gridlock that's, you know, dri- driven our, our vehicles to a halt. And they're tired of not feeling safe on transit. Well, it's the hardest thing. Yeah, it's the hardest level of government to get things done. And and though I, I when I look at majority governments or even what the confidence and supply the liberals have right now at the federal level with the NDP, I do think I, I wish people would go against their own party more. I wish people would speak their mind more. I think we actually see that in the states a ton more than Canada. Republicans don't always vote along party lines. Democrats sure don't vote along party. big issues, right? Whether it's something that's socioeconomic or a war or whatnot. Sometimes people really do vote for their conscience. You have to at, at City Hall, but at the same time, that gets in the way of uh, of getting things done when you need a majority. Yeah, and, and so like you want strong leadership that's able to make the case. You know, someone who can take a position, articulate a, a cohesive argument and make the case to bring your colleagues on board. Uh, and I would say that there's a lot of folks in the council chamber that are open to that. They are open mm-hmm. to that, especially when you're talking about the issues that matter to people. And I just hear every day, affordability, safety, gridlock over and over and over. That's what I'm going to be focused on. But, uh, you know, there are some folks in that chamber, uh, particularly 
particularly of the the more NDP persuasion, and they do operate as a party. They caucus together before every big meeting. They you know they assign the work. They know what the position is going to be, and they know where the votes are going to be. Uh, they haven't had a majority on council, and so that is where you know if if Olivia Chow is the next mayor, uh, she is going to have to find ways to work together with people if she doesn't want to be a strong mayor, uh, and and if she wants to get things done, she, she is going to have to find a way to. But are, are you worried you're going to have four or five councilors? I mean, the obvious one would be Stephen Holiday, but there'd be a few others who will just say no, no, no to everything she proposes, even if it's a good idea because of the political disengagement and, and not being aligned. Well, Stephen Holiday, who I like quite a bit, uh, he he has a tendency to say no to everybody on, on no just kidding. about everything. So <laughs> I don't I don't I don't think that one's on her <laughs> vote score, scorecard. I don't think she's counting the Holiday vote. But there there are some reasonable people in there, and like I said, I have said I will work with whoever the next mayor is, if it's not me, uh, to get things done for Torontonians as long as it's in that space of priorities around affordability, safety, and unlocking the gridlock. If it's not, then there may be points of contrast. And that that's what the democracy is all about. I am going to represent the families and the seniors and the new Canadians I've heard from across the city about their priorities. And if we stray from that, well, you know, I will make that point as well. Since we're talking about Chow, are you worried about a potential not great relationship with the police. And I asked that because I, I think it was fair criticism sometimes that John Tory had too positive a relationship with police and didn't call them out when certain things went wrong and, and when certain things were um, an overreach in terms of law enforcement. Um, should, should a mayor be on the police services board? Is that a conflict of interest? We'll leave it for another day. But are you worried Olivia Chow, Myron Demkew, the police force that we have so important right now, if you would deny that, uh, won't be on the same page on issues. You know what? Community safety comes up every single day. And um, I think the model of policing needs to evolve in a thoughtful way. More more resources directed to mental health crisis response, social work. You know, frontline officers are not marriage counselors. They're not best positioned to deliver these services. So we have to stand up a new model, and we're doing that. But if you go back to Olivia's time on council, you know, whenever that was a couple decades ago, uh, it was a fractured relationship with police. She was actually yeah. on the police board and engaging in protests at the same time. You know, if, if, if she is in a position of leadership, you, ha- you have to have a, a government mentality and you can't be an activist anymore. And so that means working together with everyone, listening, listening to the diversity of views and perspectives and making sure that common sense prevails and and safety, uh, community safety, policing. That is one of the core services delivered by municipalities. We do a lot of things for a lot of people. And you can have a conversation about what mm-hmm. our priorities mm-hmm. ought to be. But certainly community service, uh, safety, emergency services, that is core to municipal government. And you have to be able to work with our first responders, uh, whether that is fire, police, EMS and others uh, to make sure that Torontonians can rely on those emergency services when it matters most. Brad Bradford's in studio with us, of course, on 640 Toronto. Watch your vote on Monday uh, to become the next mayor of Toronto. Um, these conversations obviously swell up from the ground. We just saw uh, a councillor endorse another candidate today. Has anyone called you and asked you to drop out and endorse them? You know what? I there's been lots of conversations. Uh, I probably talked to Josh Matlow's team the most. Uh, They're calling you? Well, we, we see each other at debates, right? And so that that's more what I mean. I talked to Saunders. I talked to Matlow. I talked to Mitz. I talked to everyone. Mm-hmm. It's funny, like, you know, we're sparring on the debate stage, to be sure. And if anyone's tuned in and was able to sort of take anything out from all the crosstalk, you can tell there's passion there. We're all passionate. We care. But backstage, it's, uh, it's not dissimilar from this. Like, it's friendly, uh, collegial. Uh, at the end of the day, everyone's 
someone's running for office because they care. They want to make a difference in the city that they love. I have a tremendous amount of respect for all of the 101 other candidates who've put their name on the ballot because it's it's an investment of time and energy. Uh, sometimes it can be hard on your mental health and everyone yeah. wants to do the right thing. Um, consolidation, you know, the, the, the conversations around that are always challenging. Uh, I'm fighting for the people that I hear from every day. I'm fighting for affordability for families and safety and unlocking the gridlock. And the assumption that votes just get marshaled from one candidate to another. It never works that it's, way. It's not true. I know. I, I know for a fact, like, you know, second ballot support for all of the candidates because, you know, we've done the research. It, it, it scatters across the entire field because people support different candidates, as you said off the top of the conversation, for different reasons. Maybe, maybe transit mm. safety is your number one issue. Maybe housing affordability is your number one issue. Maybe for some folks, it's Ontario Place. So you can't just assume that because somebody stands up and says they're supporting candidate X now, that that marshals all, all of the vote support over there. It doesn't work like that in reality. I hear that. Well, I know how hardworking um, uh, a campaign you've run, and I think it's been a respectful one as well. Uh, and I think we need more of that in our, uh, in our civil discourse. Thanks very much for the time today. Love being here. See you soon. Brad Bradford joining us on Toronto Today. Finally happened. We have in a historic mayoral by-election, we kind of have history being made at the moment right now because we have a candidate throwing support behind another candidate. Last night, it was announced that uh, former city councilor Rob Davis will support uh, Anthony Fury. And both Rob Davis and Anthony Fury are with us in studio. Anthony, thanks for coming in. Great to be here, Greg. Rob, same my pleasure. You met la- now. You were meeting last night. Was it? Is was it? You were at a car. Was it your love of classic cars, Rob, that brought this together? Is that is that what really has has binded the two teams together here and well, created I, this merger? I I love uh, I love classic cars, of course. Uh, but but really, it's my love of the city uh, that brought me to support Anthony and to uh, and to decide that uh, we needed to try to coalesce around one candidate who will defeat Olivia Chow. And uh, look, I like. I like what he says. I like the cut of his jib. Uh, and no disrespect to any of the other candidates because, you know, some of our policies uh, overlap and they're similar yeah. in nature. But I think Anthony has what we call in politics the big mo, momentum. And that's important. You know, you can have the greatest ideas. I think my ideas are better than all of the candidates, but I didn't have the momentum. And Anthony seems to have captured uh, uh, sort of an inspired voters to want to So vote you haven't voted yet, but you will on Monday. No, for I haven't this voted yet. So I'm, this is the very first time where my name is on a ballot and I won't be voting for myself. How, how strange don't is that? Don't spoil it then. Don't vote. Don't tr- two votes and then the ballot's No, spoiled. no, no. I'll be voting for Anthony. And I encourage people who are going to support me to, to, vo- to vote for Anthony. Anthony, what's this mean for your campaign? Well, it's a great honor. Rob Davis been a trailblazer on a number of fronts, city council, lots of experience. And and Rob has had some some great ideas on the campaign trail. He's the first person to register to run for mayor on the first registration day. And he came out of the gate strong saying, we're not going to be wasting taxpayer money on renaming Dundas Street, an idea that man, I don't know, 103% of Torontonians support. So I, I'm, I'm proud to say that uh, I'm, I'm fully adopting that idea from Rob Davis. And he's got a lot, a lot of other great ideas. And he's got the wisdom and experience. He knows a lot about City Hall. And he also knows a lot about how Olivia Chow has operated because they served on council together. So I, I'm definitely going to benefit from Rob's uh, insight and wisdom. Rob, when you see Anthony, um, I, I, does he have that mayoral, I know he's in the room still, does he have that mayoral <laughs> feel? Hey, I'm right here, Greg. I know. And, and did you grow into this as the campaign moved along? Well, he, he, have, he obviously has the royal jelly. Right? He's got the leadership skills that we need and the new ideas and the fresh approach. But what was of concern to me most is really the threat that Toronto faces with Olivia 
Chow. Here, no. just a little bit closer to the mic if you can, because yeah, I think sure. you're, you're cutting I, I, that out. Now you're way better now. So, you know, way better. Anthony talked about my experience and and my experience with Olivia Chow. Like, you know, we were both elected in 1991, Olivia Chow and I, as, on, on council. Uh, I was in a local council. She was metro councilor. Her very first budget, she voted for a 12% tax hike. You know, I used to cringe when I was watching the debates and they'd say, she's going to raise taxes 25, all this speculation. You don't need to speculate about how much Olivia Chow is going to raise taxes. You just have to look at her track record. You don't have to speculate about what she's going to do with uh, community safety. You just have to look at her record. I put in place Canada's first ever voluntary gun buyback program. Mm -hmm. Olivia Chow voted against funding it. Over the course of 23 years, that policy has collected close to 10,000 guns from the streets of Toronto. If Olivia Chow had her way, there'd be 10,000 more guns on the street. You know, th this is really important stuff. People have to understand that her voting record matters more than what people speculate on the debate Does stage. she concern you more than any other candidate? If, if we were seeing a Mitzi Hunter or Josh Mallow with 38%, are you a little less worried about the city? Are you more worried because Olivia has these numbers right now? I, I would say she's she's the greatest threat to the future of the city, and and really? with, and I say that respectfully because you know when I sat on council, we'd go for a beer with her and Jack. We'd talk about things. Yeah, this is about we, policy. It's about policy, not exactly. The person. So we got along very well. Uh, we didn't vote the same way most of the time on council on important ideological okay. issues and, and and fundamental fiscal issues. So I I just I just want Saunders supporters. Bylaw supporters, Bradford supporters to look into their hearts and understand that their candidate doesn't have the momentum to carry it through. Uh, Anthony does. Uh, what I'm voting for Anthony. Like my name is on the ballot, and I and I want people to really think about that. What that means. I'm yeah. asking supporters of of Bradford, Bylaw, and Saunders to say, look, I really love my candidate but I love my city more and I want to protect the future of the city more. That's Rob Davis, Anthony Fury in studio. Rob uh, mentioned last night, he will support Anthony Fury and vote for him on Monday. That's the big question, Anthony. Do you need more Rob Davises in the next few days? Look, we're going to be doing all we can to get out the vote, to get more supporters to join. And, and you know, it's a great honor to have Rob's support. And I think the analysis of me just having the momentum is is accurate there. We saw the president of Forum on television the other day saying, I'm at a statistical tie for second, but of all those individuals, I'm the one who has the momentum. It's about making those real, meaningful human connections. And as I have said, and to Rob's point about the direction the city will head under Olivia Chow, I have made it clear that Toronto is at a crossroads. Now is a time for choosing. Do we want to head more in that direction of those awful scenes in Seattle, San Francisco, downtown Vancouver, more encampments, children dealing with more needles in the park, and then you have the fact that you're going to have worsening gridlock. Olivia Chow is going to put a bike lane pretty much up your own driveway. She's going to create so many of them. It, business is going to flee this city. If this decay continues, how can we share the wealth, Greg, if we don't build the wealth? I'm the pro-business, pro-economy guy clean up the streets, make this an attractive city for investment, uh, for for our children, for our future, and then we can fund those social services we need to care for people. We can't tax our way uh, out, out of a declining situation. we got to grow things. I'm the one with the positive vision. I'm the father of three small kids. I know this city. I love this city. And as Rob and I agree, this is a city worth fighting for. When we think about this, this is a question I haven't got to ask you yet, and I should have asked you a few weeks ago. We got We got here at this moment in time with four years of, of the late Rob Ford and eight years of John Tory. So if we if we even make the case those politicians lean a little more right than left, 
how did we get here with the bike lanes and the open drug sites and the rest of it? How did we get here with those people? Well, I think by and large, council uh, was was pushing in that direction. And I think as much as there were attempts to get things back to the common sense approach, I still feel like the center was not necessarily in the right direction. The center has shifted, Greg. You know, I said this is an authentic campaign that I'm running. You know, everything I'm seeing on the campaign trail is something I would have said on, on your program, yeah. on the Oakley show with Alex uh, months before we even knew there'd be an election. And the center has shifted. And I think people want to see the sorts of things that Rob and I are talking about right now. People uh, want to go in this direction. Now is the opportunity. Now is the time to make the right choice to get Toronto back on track, moving again, safe again. Is there potential for a conversation with Mark Saunders before Monday that would see him throw his support behind you? Greg, it's been great to get to know Mark more the past couple of months. I have a lot of respect for him, but the truth is that his campaign is totally stalled. If you look at his polling numbers today, they're exactly the same as they were in April, despite the fact he's gotten a lot of favorable media attention, a well-funded campaign, whereas my numbers uh, keep continuing with momentum out there. So I know Mark has recently pivoted to saying his main priority is to stop Olivia Chow. I have continued to say my main priority is to fight for my family, to fight for Toronto families. So I would welcome any of those conversations. Do you have to reach out and get it to bring that to fruition, to kind of bring it home? You know, and I look forward to seeing what the next couple of days on the campaign trail uh, bring about, because, you know, I, I, I'm in this to win this, and I've already uh, been able to get so much momentum, and I want to just keep it going. I love this city, man. Rob, would you call other other candidates and and, and ask them to, to do what you did yesterday? I think it's important that we call on the people supporting them to vote uh, and support Anthony. Like, I, I think the appeal here is not so much to, to Mark Saunders or to Brad Bradford. You notice I didn't say Brad Bradford, Mark Saunders, Anna Bailau, come and support Anthony. What I said was, to the people who want to vote for them, I want you to consider that you have to vote strategically now. You have to understand Mm -hmm. that Olivia Chow is the person who had to quit the police services board because she was presumably going to face charges under the Police Services Act because of directing police officers at a riot, a protest, that happened at Queen's Park. That's how wild. Is she, how I don't is think she, people know much about that. How is she that. going to sit wow. on the police services board? Are those possible charges going to come back to haunt her? These are questions that we have to ask ourselves. You don't have to speculate about... Well, what, And what's a Myron Demke-Olivia Chow relationship? It's well, a very I, fair question. Well, I think We, we you, haven't heard anything from well, the police it, chief. I, I'd like to hear more from him, to well, be honest. Well, I, I actually went to high school with the police chief. He, uh, he, we went to the same high school. He's a great guy. Uh, so I've known him since he was a teenager. Um, uh, professionally, we've uh, crossed paths a well, few Well, we times. should try and find him in the next few days. Well, no, he's, I, he's like the Ark well, of the not, Covenant he, right now. He's hard to find. Well, he's not going to comment. But I'll, say th- <laughs> but I'll say this much, because he's a professional uh, p- uh, policymaker. Yeah. He's the chief of police. He's not going to do anything political. But the, but the simple fact right. of the matter is um, that it's not the police chief that matters. It's the, there's this uh, We have a thing called the Police Services Act. Mm-hmm. When you're mayor, when you're a member of the Police Services Board, there are things you cannot do, and you cannot direct operational uh, matters with police. It's something that she was accused of back in the, uh, in the 90s or the 2000s when there was a riot at Queen's Park. Yeah. She quit the Police Services Board in order to prevent herself from being charged, presumably, with a Police Services Act violation. How is she going to sit on the Police Services Board? How is she going to defend Torontonians in the interest of people's safety if she's afraid of sitting on that board? All right, it's a big question that she needs to answer. Anthony Fury uh, and Rob Davison, where can people go to your website and find out more about your platform? Fury.ca, F-U-R-E-Y.ca. Every vote counts right now, and 
you know, it matters. People got to turn out on election day. I'm really mm-hmm. working hard uh, the next few days to really turn Toronto around and fight for Toronto families. And we can fix this. I'm an optimist, Greg. All right. Five days away. Thanks very much for giving us the time this morning. Thank you, sir. There's Anthony Fury. Rob Davis, appreciate you coming in as well, Rob. Thank you. And I, as I said earlier on another radio show okay. on Monday, vote early and vote often. Okay. Those two classic cars you parked out front, they can't stay there. So you, no, you've no. seen people give tickets out like crazy in this city. So. I, we got our Thelma and Louise. I, I so don't want to see it. you guys in traffic court Friday morning. You got other stuff to do. Uh, Anthony Fury, Rob Davis in with us. 717 on Toronto Today. This is 640 Toronto. Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Weekdays at 530. We are 640 Toronto.